professional services as a training ground for starting a company is not a very popular one. But if you can like think of being at a place like a law firm or working in banking as an opportunity to be in a front row seat to people solving problems that you're going to one day have to solve or deal with challenges that you're going to one day have to deal with, you can't get better training. Welcome to the Vitalize Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, the Director of Marketing at Vitalize Venture Capital. On today's episode, we have Nick Tareja, the co-founder and CEO of Sidecar, a platform that makes private investing dead simple so investors can focus on what matters, building relationships and sourcing investment opportunities. You can check out Sidecar, S-Y-D-E-C-A-R.io. Let's get into the episode. Nick, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. This is exciting. I appreciate you coming on. Sidecar is doing really useful things in the venture world. People probably haven't heard of it yet, though. I know you have some big names that are using it. Tell people about what is Sidecar so people have a little bit of context. Yeah, for sure. Sidecar, to say it really simply, is an on-ramp to venture capital for new capital allocators, for businesses looking to connect investors with investment opportunities, uh, for funds that that you know spin up SPVs alongside a core fund, uh, perhaps for, for funds who are looking to build an opportunity fund using SPVs or using our novel fund structures all around the table. It's really just an on-ramp to, to really fluid uh, capital allocation and venture. With this too, and that's such a useful thing now, especially with the growth of kind of alternative assets, alternative investing, people interested in startups specifically, and that growing. We've seen that even in the last like couple of years with everything happening there. For you though, why, why start this company and why start this company recently when you did? I'm curious. For sure. You know, the, the, the truth is, well, there, there are a number of reasons, but I think the biggest reason that I'm passionate about this company, why I started it, is that I practiced law for almost eight years and didn't enjoy a lot of it and found tons of inefficiency all around the table in practicing law. And Sidecar, in a sense, is a product that commoditizes what lawyers charge thousands of dollars an hour for and a really simple tool that makes decision-making for capital allocators just dead simple, right? Our goal is to basically make it so that you get best-in-class product that guides you to decisions that you should be making had you worked with counsel. Of course, you're not getting legal advice through Sidecar, but it just protects our customers, right? And it also makes for, for an elegant transaction where otherwise there are hundreds of different forms available and folks get confused about what they can or can't do. Uh, so basically just taking everything I learned and just making it simple for someone to just commoditize in, in an SPV, for example. Diving a little bit deeper into the experience of it. So I want to put together an SPV and for people who aren't familiar, we can go through that, but I want to put together an SPV. What does that look like working with Sidecar beginning to actually having it done? Take me through that. For sure. So if you're coming to Sidecar to put together an SPV, it means you've identified an awesome investment opportunity, maybe a friend's company. You come to us. Tell us about the company using our product, right? Describe the company uh, in your own words. You tell us some information about the company from a legal perspective, like what's the legal name of the company, what's the round that they're raising, the valuation, et cetera. And after that, we guide you through a framework where you can onboard your investors. And you can use that tool to basically just gauge interest from a group of investors that maybe haven't really confirmed a specific, a specific allocation with you, or you can use it just to directly move forward and start calling capital. And all that happens in the background seamlessly. Our product basically takes care of the invites to investors, the tracking of, of wires inbound in an automated fashion, 
all through the closing step, which is when you're like, look, I've collected enough capital. My investors are in. I just want to close this deal. The founder's pinging me. <laughs> we handle that process too. We treat the founder as a user. We get them the capital. We sign the documentation for you on your behalf and everything's just kind of wrapped up. And after that, it's all about relationship management. You know, Sidecar basically puts you in the driver's seat, lets you focus on those relationships, less so on the spreadsheets and the legal docs, et cetera. With this so far, so you've, you've had the website, you know, basically a wait list for using the product, but you obviously have people in the beta version and everything. What are some of those insights you're already getting from the users you've had with Sidecar, people who already started to use the platform? I'm curious as to what you've, you've kind of picked up already from that uh, and it, when or when you kind of envision going completely open to people. I'm curious. <laughs> for sure. You know, the, the funny thing is the first thing we've realized is expectations are so freaking low for a product <laughs> like ours. Uh, and that's a good thing and a bad thing because we're getting really positive feedback already. I know our product is like at a 70, 80%. It's not the 100% mark yet. Um, the second thing we've learned is that people have a lot of questions and a lot of uncertainty because there's a lot of money involved. There's a reputation at stake. Our customers are trusting yeah. us to really help them, right? I mean, you've been in this position, right, of investing. Like you understand like what it means to have an LP that really trusts you, right? And is investing in you as a person to make good decisions. Um, you want your partners that you choose, transaction partners to uphold those same values. A lot of trust. And we have to make sure that we always stand by our customers. And the third thing is customers are confused and really appreciate having a partner like Sidecar that demystifies things like compliance and, and has a credi credible backbone where they can trust that the legal infrastructure we developed is stable and it's vetted by amazing counsel all around. So that, that credibility and trust is something people really value. And we're, we love being sort of a, uh, you know, a thought leader to help, uh, help our customers make good decisions. With this too, I, I just want to go a little bit deeper. So with what you mentioned as well, are you seeing it's a lot of really experienced venture capitalists and investors who just want to make their job easier because they know this will help? Is it a lot of people who are just getting started into this whole investing in startups thing and like, oh, wait. I can invest VV. I have access to these deals. Like, this is interesting. Like, what are you seeing on that a mix of both? I'm curious about that too. It's truly a mix of both. We have been targeting first-time venture capitalists as customers. Uh, our assumption was that first-time VCs would be more flexible when it comes to trusting a product entirely. You know, we're not a stodgy law firm that's saying, hey, you got to like wet ink sign something and send it to us via FedEx next day, right? And we're like, hey, just click this checkbox and you're done. Yeah. That said, we've been surprised by the fact that, you know, folks running a hundred plus million dollar SPVs also trust us, right? And they say, hey, I don't care how stodgy our LPs are, these family offices or, you know, the Abu Dhabi Wealth Fund, they're going to conform to Sidecar because this is just so much easier for us. And it's all over the map. So we've been blown away by the, the diversity and in customer interest. How do you think that opens it up in terms of this whole industry when we see, you know, a project with Sidecar is building? And then people starting to hear about it, learn about it, know what you're doing, seeing this as a, as a possibility. Like, how does that open up the startup world? How does that change how capital is allocated? I would love to hear your thoughts on that too. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think in the last couple of years, we've already seen Pandora's box open on capital allocation. We're seeing that, you know, founders are some of the best investors. Starting a fund is not just a pipe dream anymore. People are doing it because capital is just more readily available to back interesting people with access. Um, but I think what seems to be missing and what we're solving for is that unified approach to allocation, creating investment vehicles, managing flow of funds, managing reporting, sort of the life cycle of the investment vehicle itself. And I think for us, that's the opportunity, right? Is to basically be the foundational layer 
for where deals get done, ultimately giving us a chance to perfect how reporting happens so LPs are all in the know, ultimately giving our, our customers a chance to focus more on relationships and brand building, which is super helpful for the industry. Um, and with this new tidal wave of just like folks allocating capital more and more, we think like more than ever, standardization and how these deals are conducted and how the documentation looks in, in how you know, money flows and how accounts are created and how reporting is conducted is vital to really support this wave. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how it continues to grow. And there's companies like like Party Round where they are doing interesting things around, around you know getting access to deals and making the deals go faster. And we see other companies that are doing or trying to do something in this space, and everyone's kind of taking a different approach to it. All good in terms of opening it up to more and more people. With yeah. that too, then so what you've already done, and when you have that idea for Sidecar, take me through. You know, a lot of times, where even when you're in venture and you're a VC, you're building your team like a startup. Just take me through that side of things in terms of you. Like, how have you built your team? How have you gone about actually creating Sidecar, the people who are behind it, who are going to make this whole thing run? I'm curious about that side of it too. Yeah, dude, that's been a trip, right? Because my background is as a lawyer primarily, right? With an entrepreneurial tilt. I mean, I grew up in a family business. So I understand what it is to really put a customer first. It's kind of a core value of mine. Um, but having been a lawyer in professional services for like eight years, you're kind of distant from just the, the grind of like creating a company and building a team. And I got to tell you, that's been like the most rewarding part of this entire endeavor is a team we have and, and, and kind of inviting these amazing people to feel just as passionate about what we're building and stand behind it and help build it alongside me every single day, alongside Dave and my co-founder every single day. And the team building process was one where we identified very early on, like, what do we need? What do we bring to the table? And what do we need to add to this team? You know, early on, we identify that we as investors, having served clients who are investors and companies really understand the fundraising process and understand how to allocate capital and what the, the problems and pains that early stage capital allocators face. We, of course, are not technical. Like I'm learning what it means to be a product manager every day, right, by, by observing our product team. But I think our product team would keep me kind of far away from filing tickets because I'll leave some details out, right? I'm just not, I'm not right for that job. So we identified that we needed a really strong product lead. So we, one of our first hires is Will Kessler, a legend. He's just amazing at, at product and he's built an amazing team around him. Um, to that team, we've added amazing people like Brian Lung, Deborah Lynn, um, an amazing engineering team. And, you know, from there, you know, we just continue to add on until we, we realize that we're at a point now where the product's far along enough. And now we need to maybe look at the other side of the ship, which is operations, customer support, customer success. And we're building that team now. But if anyone's listening and is really passionate about customer success or support and wants to lead that element of our team, we are looking for amazing people to join the ship still. Um, but we're getting better every day by basically just projecting out, thinking about where the business is going to be in a few months and building the team ahead of time to get there. You mentioned a few people there. Take me through that process of you're not really used to being in this this game of hiring for a venture back startup, and what's helped you along the way with hiring, how you've approached it in terms of, okay, it's obviously a super new company. So I, there's an idea of some people use in-house recruiters, some people go external recruiters, some people just work their networks. Just would love to hear behind the scenes, like you know what you've you've done, maybe what's been helpful for you, uh, for other founders who may be listening to. For sure. Um... I think it really depends on the stage of the company. You know, the earliest stages, you don't really have a ton of leverage, right? You may not have a ton of capital. You may be equity rich, but you're not going to you're not going to pay like top of market, and you're unlikely going to hire a recruiter as like the first go to to find like your first couple hires for that reason. 
it's just not going to work. Um, so it's really about network. I think for the first few hires, just going out there and being the founder that tells the story about this amazing opportunity to, to get that first hire for a critical role. And then essentially from there, it's about just having the team do some of the, the storytelling for you, right. To their networks and growing the network collectively. We found that some of our best hires have come from just organic relationships that the team already had. And the reason for that is those people on the team are fully aligned with our success already. They're already on the team. They care most about making sure the team succeeds and they know the people they're hiring can, can bring right, the, the talent that we need. They know exactly what we're looking for. It tends to be the best fit. And then once you cross about 10 to 15 people, however, you kind of reach that, that limit where you're like, look, like the team can only bring in so many people at a time and the yeah. team wants us to get work done. So even if we're trusting like our team leads to spend like 20, 30% of the time hiring, a lot of time goes to straight up to interviewing. So we've turned on yeah. some amazing recruiters since then, especially for engineering. Um, you know, I think we're obviously in a very tight job market right now, right? People are talking about the great resignation and it's real. Um, I think I read somewhere that there's like 1.75 openings for every qualified job, you know, candidate out there for, for jobs. So we're seeing that. I think like being a startup, however, and being in the, the shoes of a founding team working on a really, really awesome problem is that we have a leg up in attracting amazing people. But, you know, it's still hard work to find and land those people. So just to kind of like, I, I think I went down this rabbit hole, but early days about you yeah. just getting out there, your team getting out there. I think once you cross 10 to 15, recruiters play a really, really important role. With this too, so you've been on the investor side yeah, for a while as well. And then coming to the founder side of things with this venture-backed startup, raising capital, uh, knowing what you knew going into it, how was the process? And also like, just how did you... How did you approach it having, you know, a pretty good understanding of how this works, at least? How did you approach raising funds for Sidecar? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. So we, we've raised two rounds of funding. Our first round was our, our pre-seed friends and family round. Second round was a, was a priced round. Uh, the first round was all about hustle. It's just about getting out there and just telling the story and, and selling, right, as hard as possible to some emerging funds, angels, uh, and having angels catalyze conversations to other funds and other angels, right? Just basically just like a really like pure grassroots effort. And I think we can count on one hand the, the number of angels that have really helped tremendously with just so many amazing interests, both for fundraising and hiring. Those angels helped us close our first round. Uh, the second round, the priced round, things are a bit different, right? Because it's not just about closing like a party round of sorts. It's about actually getting a lead to come in and say, hey, we're going to take this round and here's why I have conviction in this company and help fill out the rest of the round. Uh, we were fortunate to have a lead investor that had conviction in us before we even had a company because they had conviction in this, in this notion of this, this, this industry needing a certain type of solution. Um, and once you know, that investor got to know our team, Desians, Dan Kimmerling and Ishan, uh, once, once Desians got to know our team, built conviction in our approach and the people we surrounded ourselves with. And I think that that conviction and that interest, uh, we really, you know, leveraged uh, to have Desians uh, preempt our, our next round, right? And you know, it was a it was a conversation that led to a, a round that we hadn't planned for, but are super grateful uh, for you know for for having closed. Um, once you have like a lead investor and a term sheet and a priced round, I think it's a lot more more convenient to then go out there and say, hey, who wants to join? Where right? you have the upper hand in those conversations, especially in today's market. So. That'll happen relatively quickly after the term sheet was in hand. For you too, at this current juncture, are you still investing in startups yourself, 
personally as an angel or at, at the at the fund you have or like how has that been going alongside of Sidecar? I know I've talked to founders who like some of them some of them are like I'm so focused on building there's no way I could invest. <laughs> Others are like, yeah, it's so helpful to have like these other perspectives. Like for you, how does that go? Dude, I don't have a whole, whole lot of time outside of running Sidecar, <laughs> right? Like my life is pretty pretty laser focused on on one mission and um it's really hard to to find the time to do anything else. Um you know, I'm still very passionate about investing. So, you know, being a part of Sidecar, of course, exposes me to investment opportunities every single day. And sometimes I participate just because someone says, hey, you should check this out. When it comes to allocating capital on behalf of others, however, you know, that's that takes responsibility and work, right? You got to like make sure you button up your diligence and really have a strong thesis for something. And I, I, I just don't have a whole lot of time for that. So we've done some follow-on rounds in companies we invested in previously where we, you know, have closed deals for, for others. But in, in, in originating new deals, I frankly think it, it'll take some time before I have the bandwidth again to just go out there and, and profess that something's worth, worth a lot of attention. Yeah, it's definitely a lot of work on that side of things. One thing we didn't <laughs> talk about that I am super curious about as well is just your co-founder, David. You obviously worked together at the fund before and now with this. Take me through even the decision to work with him on the fund, the decision together to be like, we're going to launch this company because I, whether it be, you know, partners at a venture firm you're starting together, whether it be founders who are starting a company, that relationship is so critical. And I'm always curious how people have made those decisions to do it and how they work on those like relationships with that person to be like, yeah, we're going to actually do this thing. Take me through that with you. For sure. So I met David in 2019. When David was at Cooley, which is a law firm I worked at as well, um, we didn't overlap. He joined Cooley after I'd already left. And a mutual friend put us in touch and said, hey, you got to meet this guy, David. He's just as crazy as you are. He's talking about starting a venture fund. You should walk him off a cliff. I get on the phone with David and it was just like a ball of energy, just talking about like raising a fund, just doing all these like amazing things. And I was like, David, aren't you, aren't you just in this, like, you're an associate at Cooley right now. Like you just joined, like, what? where, where's your head at, man? Like, how, how can you possibly think you can accomplish all these things? Like given exactly where you're at. And I tried to walk him back, but then I realized that the intensity and passion he brought to the table was just like too much and exactly what you'd need to succeed in a place like venture. And I was like, you know what, give it a shot. Don't hold yourself back. Um, David was fortunate enough to get an offer to join a company full-time and actually turn that offer down to start a venture fund. And when we started that fund, you know, we, we realized that we had a really positive dynamic, that we approach problems really differently, but we came together uh, at the same decision every single time. And we realized that the dynamic of, of, of sort of like, you know, him having like a ton of energy up front and a ton of conviction and then maybe decreasing over time with me having like a lot of like enthusiasm, like for finding certain facts and then building energy over time really like helped us like match and, and make really good investment decisions. And in a sense, you know, being partners at a fund is kind of like a marriage, right? We kind of like started to work together so close to so much time on the phone together that we were shared the same headspace about a lot of different things, including Sidecar when Sidecar was born. So it was a very natural evolution, right? Suffering the pain of being an investor together and discovering the solution of Sidecar together. It, it couldn't have been a better fit. Going back to your, your former life as an attorney, as a lawyer, um, going from that to startup founder, what do you take away from that experience that helps you today? I'm curious. You know, I think that's a, that's a really good question because professional services as a training ground for starting a company is not a very popular one. At least people don't like talk about that as like necessary. And I don't think it's necessary at all. But if you can like think of being at a place like a law firm or working in banking 
as an opportunity to be in a front row seat to people solving problems that you're going to one day have to solve or deal with challenges that you're going to one day have to deal with, you can't get better training. Like the work itself is pretty mundane, if I'm honest. Like being a lawyer at a corporate law firm, you're basically trained to just like rinse and repeat. You're not trained to innovate. Like if you innovate, you're doing something wrong and people kind of bring you back to course. However, you get to touch like hundreds of companies with amazing founding teams and amazing investors and like read about all the decisions they've ever made and be a part of the next one. So, you know, for me at least, I leveraged that to eventually start my own law firm after I left Cooley and brought a couple of clients with me and built that practice, right? Where I ended up being a trusted partner and joined a board of directors and became an officer of the company, et cetera. But it took like that, like entrepreneurial spirit staying alive over years of the firm, like probably inevitably going to kill it and me leaving to keep it alive. Yeah. But if you can, you can keep it alive. You can learn a tremendous amount and apply it directly. One of the things I have to ask about selfishly is how do you balance the U USC undergrad with the JD from UCLA? <laughs> where does your allegiance lie? Nick, that's what I really want to know. USC, man. I honestly, like I, I basically phoned it in at UCLA. Um, I felt like, uh, yeah, you know, honestly, it's, it's funny you asked that. I, I'm not someone that like wears school spirit to like that mm -hmm. level where, where I can't appreciate like another, another school, but you know, going to grad school at UCLA is very different than going to undergrad at UCLA, right? So people don't really talk about sports. They don't really talk about school spirit in grad school. Um, I definitely still wore the, wore the, 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 the Trojan hat even on campus at UCLA almost every single day just because I thought it was kind of funny and to say, also to see if anyone <laughs> would call me out. No one ever called me out. Um, so, I, yeah. I have to ask because I felt the same way. Like I don't have like a deep, deep, like a for like USC. I went to USC for my master's, but like that, that thought of that and like how people get really drawn to it. I, I find it really curious. The reason I ask is just even with now, I look at people like at startups, some people rock different startup swag, right? That they've been at before yeah. and they still rock that, which I find interesting. And like, how do you build that at a company or even a venture firm where people want to actually have that? You, you have hustle fun on your, your cap table, for instance, and like they have some different swag and stuff that people rock. That's hustle fun, even if it's not their fund. And it's like, right. This is so, this is so fascinating. And that ties right back yeah. to UCLA, UCLA, uh, USC thing around like brand and like how people like, like a certain company. And I just think about that all the time now with companies I see and like, would, a, would someone rock their swag or not actually, uh, which makes you see like how much people love the mission and what they're doing and everything there. So that's why I bring that up. And as we kind of wrap things up here, Nick, just curious, what's the next step for sidecar? Where are you guys going next? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, one thing you just brought up is actually relevant to that question. Um, it kind of touches on the future of venture. And I think the future of venture is a lot more personal, individualized, and a representation of, of you know, the, the culture that, that the capital allocator represents. I mean, you as a, a venture investor, Dustin, like you, you kind of think about like your, the companies you're investing in and, and, and sort of the, the approach you bring to the table probably deeply when you're making an investment decision because you probably think about like who these people are and how you can help them. And, you know, Hustle Fund, for example, has leaned really heavily into a brand aspect, right? A venture, not just being a capital allocator about numbers and IRR, et cetera, but about Hustle Fund representing something. And I think that the future of venture is really like, it's, it's, it, it is a lot more of that. It's a lot more of folks coming to the table who don't historically have a ton of experience in, in, in a banking capital allocation, whatever it may be, but have a network, have capital, want to deploy it and create a brand around what they're doing and make that a part of their story to the universe. 
So Sidecar, you know, in a sense is, is enabling that, right? It's enabling you to tell your story through the deals that you do, enabling me to do the same and everyone else out there has never thought about it to actually act on an investment opportunity to build that portfolio for that portfolio to be a representation of their decision-making, their credibility, their access, their story. And, and I'm, I'm really excited for the future. I'm excited for Sidecar to be kind of in the background for our customers to be in the foreground, doing all the amazing things that they do, funding the future and amazing entrepreneurs along the way. And over time, I think we're gonna have an opportunity to back uh, uh, companies indirectly where other companies leverage a Sidecar API and infrastructure to, to run their businesses, whether they're fund admins, or, or companies out there that basically, you know, connect investors with with uh, with investment opportunities and create marketplaces of sorts. And that's the future for Sidecar. Um, we're just getting started. I know a lot of people say that, but we truly are. It's companies only a year old, and we launched yeah. our product formally a few weeks ago. And this is going to be a, a very uh, a crazy year for us, but also a very impactful one. It'll define the future of this company and, and what the team looks like and the people we touch and the stories that are told on the platform. I will say just to highlight one of the things you mentioned around, you know, like founders and everything, startups, they connect with, with people so much, so more than brands. As we move forward here, obviously you have these, these massive legacy brands and venture that people know about that, you know, you very well known, of course, and you have these individuals more so even more than the brands that you're seeing more and more now. Packy McCormick is one that always comes to mind with his newsletter. Like you're seeing that him as a brand. I think about Gail for us at Vitalize. People are like coming to us and want to yeah. want our money because of Gail. <laughs> like like they'll literally just say that in the message. And it's like you're seeing that more and more. And what that does is more people have, you know, working at other companies but are in this ecosystem or doing things in this ecosystem, they're gonna be using someone like Sidecar, for instance, to do these deals. Cause like, wait a minute, like I have all these connections, I have some capital. We can do this like that. That just is an exciting future that I cannot wait for. And where can people go to learn more about Sidecar and connect with you as well, Nick, if they'd like to? For sure. Thanks. Thanks for that. Um, Sidecar.io, S-Y-D-E-C-A-R.io is our website. We're we're going to be pushing forward on 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 a new website and a marketing campaign in the next couple of months. We're, we're still trying to stay mostly behind the scenes. Um, like I mentioned before we started, this is my first podcast. I've been super excited about this uh, and starting this to, to tell a story here. Um, and uh, to follow me, I'm on Twitter at Nick Talreja, N-I-K-T-A-L-R-E-J-A. Not not a very avid uh, Twitter user yet, but I'm sure that'll have to change if I'm going to be successful in this role. So <laughs> so um, thanks to the world for for being easy on me. We'll, we'll give you a few followers for sure after this episode <laughs> goes live, I think, Nick. But thank you so Amazing. much for the time, Nick. I really appreciate it. Cool. Thank you so much. Hey, thanks for listening. If you want to learn more about us, head on over to Vitalize.vc. You can also follow us on Twitter at VitalizeVC. Or you can follow me on Twitter at JustinGordon212. Have a great day, and I'll talk to you in the next episode.